Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. Tremendous job all the time, but amen. Thank you all today for leading us into the presence of the Lord. Amen. And for those that will be remaining in here, uh, I do want one thing that I did not mention is if there are any guests here today, you'll eat with the orange team. You'll go first. All right. We'll make sure that we serve our guests first. Amen. Blue team, let's give our orange friends and our guests today a big hand. We look forward. We look forward to serving them. Amen. And the orange is not a reference to those that might have spent too much time in the spray tan machine. Amen. Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse number one. And I think under the circumstances, what a great crowd here today. Amen. Given it being a long weekend, and I know at least five families that I can think of without thinking too hard that are traveling this weekend. And uh, just thank you all for coming out today. I will, I'll try today to let the Lord be eternal, and I will not be. I'll try to get right to the point. Amen. But I believe God has a point to make today. Have you, have you know that you are, when we talk about Jesus Christ, you are the point. Amen. You're the reason that he left heaven and came to earth. You're the reason that he was suspended upon that tree. The Bible tells us he could have called legions of angels to come and take him down off of that cross. But the reason he stayed on that tree, the reason he suffered, bled, and died was for you. Everybody say, for me. Amen. I, not, not, I believe if he were the only one, if he were the only person, that Jesus would have shed blood for you. Amen. Y'all believe that? I didn't say for the crowd cumulative, for one individual. You are the point. And so today I want to get that point across Genesis 16 and verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And not smart, Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went into, into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she conceived, I was despise in her eyes the Lord judge between me and thee how many of you knew that wasn't going to end well I didn't have to read verse 5 to know it wasn't going to end well but Abram said unto Sarah here's where Abram does make a good decision he's like look that's your servant do whatever you want to do good move by Abram and when Sarah had dealt hardly with Hagar Hagar fled from her face and the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness by the fountain in the way of sure. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. Moving down to verse 13, just one more verse. 
The Bible says in verse 13 that Hagar called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou, God, seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? I want to read that 13th verse from a different translation, the New Living Translation. The Bible says, Thereafter Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. She also said, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? Amen. You are the God who sees me. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. I want to preach for the next hour and a half or two. Not really. Amen. The guest nervously looked at the person who brought them and said, what did you do to me? Amen. For the next few minutes, I want to preach on this thought, the God who sees me. Amen. The God who sees me. The scripture provides us many names attributed to God. Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai are just a few of those names that have been attributed to God. One source cited 967 names throughout the scripture that have been applied to the Most High. These names were not to distinguish 967 unique persons or distinct sources, but rather to describe specific and situational manifestations. For example, the name Elohim speaks of God as the creator. Whenever it speaks of God in his creative power, it's going to use, if you study that out, if you look into the original language, it's going to be speaking the name used Elohim. Another name that is given is the name Adonai. And when we speak the name Adonai, and when you see that name Adonai in Scripture, it's talking about God as our master, our Lord and master. Uh, another name that you would see in Scripture is, that is applied to God is the name Abba. And that's simply when we speak of God as Abba, we're talking about our Father. Amen. And the way that a father would care for his children. The name El or Eloha. Uh, El-O-Oha. Not Aloha like in Hawaii, but El-Oha. And that is, when we use that name, it's referring to the might and the power of God. Those are just a few. Of course, I don't have time today to go through all 967 names that are attributed to God. But of these names that are attributed to God, used to describe his nature and abilities, most were names that God assigned to himself. So when the scripture calls him Elohim, that's not man calling him Elohim. That's God saying, I am the creator. Amen. When we see Adonai, that's not man calling God Adonai. That's God saying, I am Adonai, I am your master. Uh, when we see the, 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 the terminology El, that is God saying that I am mighty and powerful. How many of you believe that God has the right to call himself whatever he wants? And he did this, he gives those different names to himself, again, not because there is a diversity of gods, there's only one God, but rather so that we could understand his works and his ways, because God's too big for you to comprehend him. And so he used different names so you could understand just how awesome the God is that you serve, that he's the same God that created the heaven and the earth, amen? He's the same God that is the master and the ruler over all things. He is the same God who has all power in his name. So most of those names were self-assigned. But some, we find in Scripture, were names that humanity attributed to God. Times when God showed up in specific and significant ways. And in specific times, God showed up in a very specific way. And so humanity looked at this appearance of God and the way that he worked in their circumstance 
And they said, God did something different here. I know he's a creator, and I know he's a way maker, and I know that he's mighty, and I know he's a master. But God revealed himself to me in a new and a unique and specific way. Circumstances when God revealed himself to humanity through some quality or demonstration. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 14 We know that Abraham is atop Mount Moriah, and there the Lord reveals himself to Abraham through that ram in the thicket. And the Bible tells us that at that appearance of that ram in the thicket, uh, Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, amen, that means God, you are my provider. How many of you today, uh, maybe this week at some point in your prayer time, you pray to Jehovah Jireh? Amen. Did you know that Abraham gave him that name way back in the book of Genesis? It was a revelation that, you know what, when I'm in a difficult place and there's no way through it, I can pray to God because he is a provider. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, Moses calls him Jehovah Nisi, and we Uh, Again, I can't preach in each and every one of these, or we will be here all afternoon. But in this situation, the the, the children of Israel are battling the armies of Amalek. And and as they battle, Moses is guided to the top of a hill, and he will hold his hands up with that rod in his hand. And as long as his hands are lifted, uh, Israel in the valley below being led by Joshua, the, the Israelites will win that battle. And as his hands begin to fall, they will start to lose. And so they put Aaron under one arm and Ur and Ur under the other, and they hold those arms up. And as the arms of Moses are lifted, Israel wins a supernatural victory. Moses recognizes it wasn't the it was not our our military strategy that won this battle. It wasn't my leadership that won this battle. It was a supernatural victory that God gave us. And so he calls God there, Jehovah Nisi which means the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my victory, if we could say it that way. Judges chapter 6, verse 24. Gideon describes him as Jehovah Shalom. How many of you have ever prayed to Jehovah Shalom? Amen. How many of you know if you prayed to Jesus, you prayed to all of these because that's the name of Jehovah. Amen. But Jehovah Shalom, why? Because the, the name Jehovah Shalom means God is my peace. And, and, and the, the instance surrounding this, Gideon had just come face to face with an angel. Amen. That, that angel says to him, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, uh, of valor and strength, that, that God has called you to be a judge of Israel and to be victorious in battle. And, and Gideon, all Gideon knows is he's full of fear. And yet Gideon has this, this, this visitation with an angel, and he's amazed that he could stand before the supernatural and not die. And the Lord speaks to him and says, Gideon, fear not, thou shalt not die. And Gideon says, there's only one thing I can say, Jehovah Shalom. I deserve to die. I should have died, but God, you gave me life. Amen. Jehovah, you are my peace. I want today to tell you that he is still Jehovah Shalom. That no matter what you may be going through, he is peace in the middle of your storm. Amen. I don't care what your circumstances are. Amen. That you can still pray to the same God that Gideon prayed to. Amen. Thank you, God, that you give us peace. And in, of course, the 23rd Psalm, David calls this great God of ours, he calls him Jehovah Rophi. Amen. That means the Lord is our shepherd. Amen. We, the 23rd Psalm, perhaps 
among the most popular of scriptures in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, he guides me, his rod and staff, they comfort me, amen. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. But all of this came at a a specific time where David was facing adversaries and somehow God guided him through his circumstance. And even when the enemy came against him, God led him beside still waters. And David said, there's a revelation here. This is not just Elohim. This is not just Adonai. Amen. This is God, my shepherd. He leads me and he guides me. As you look through scripture, again, I've given you four instances of many that we could go through. But as we look at these and others, it would appear that the names that are used to describe God When humanity ascribes a name to God, it would appear that that is reserved for patriarchs. How many of you know what a patriarch is? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. These are patriarchs. These are men that we look at. They're the foundation of Scripture. They're they're, they're the people we talk about in Sunday school. All right, they're, they're, they're the pillars of our faith. And, and we would say, you know what, that Abraham, yeah, he's got the right to, to give God a name because he's a patriarch. Or Moses, who the Bible tells us Moses acted in the role of a prophet. Uh, amen. So, so, yeah, we understand patriarchs can, can ascribe names unto God and prophets can give names unto God. Men of power like Gideon and David who were victorious in battle, yes, they deserve the right to give names to God. But I didn't come this morning to preach a storyline from one of the major characters of the Bible, but to talk to you today about minor characters. A minor character by the name of Hagar. Amen. She's not in the hallmark of faith. She's not recognized as a woman of virtue. She's not known as a woman of honor. She's not a woman who wrote a book in the Bible. She's not a woman of authority, influence, or power. She's not rich, not prominent, not educated, doesn't have a lot of degrees behind her name. She's not the woman that when she walks in the room like Esther that everybody's head turned. No, Hagar is a slave. She's serving the house of Abraham and Sarah in a state of invisibility. No significance about Hagar. Her name, if it had not been for the barren condition of Sarah, we probably would never even have read the name of Hagar in Scripture. Amen. But we find as we read of Hagar, she is in a mess that's not her making. Amen. She's in a storm that she did not stir up. There is a powder keg of jealousy and envy that are entirely the result of Sarah and Abraham's impatience And yet Hagar is pulled right into the middle. I wonder if anybody has been in the middle of a mess that you didn't make. Every parent should have their hands raised when you walk into your child's bedroom. Amen. You, You walk in there and you start cleaning up a mess that you didn't make. Amen. We all know what it's like to be in the middle of a mess that we did not make, in the middle of a storm that we are not responsible for making. And can I tell you that the mess that Hagar is in the middle of is a world class mess but I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't hide the mess from us I know we all come to church on Sunday and you know we even sometimes try to pray in King James language thou O God art thou the most wisest of all the wise thou thine king And we try to come to church and put on like we don't have any problems, like we don't have any mess going on in our lives, like we don't have any circumstances, amen, that are being stirred up in our world. But I'm thankful today that the Bible doesn't hide the mess. 
Because here's what happens. People walk into the church and they look around at all of you good, good folks that don't have any problems in your life. Right? You came to church looking good. You put on some deodorant, a little squirt of cologne and some perfume. And you, they walk in here and they say, I could never be like them. I've got too many problems in my eye. Thankful when they open up the Bible, they find that there's messes in the Bible. And if they could find out the truth about us, there's messes in our lives. Amen. We've got circumstances in our life. Amen. But I'm thankful that God came to love messy people. God came to give hope to people that are living in hopeless situations. If you know what I'm talking about, why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? All right, there's about eight of you right now. The rest of you, I guess you don't have any problems. Because if the Bible hid the mess, we'd have no hope. We'd think that Jesus is only for perfect people. But you don't have to read too far in the scripture before Cain rises up and slays his brother Abel. For the children of Israel start building a tower into the heavens thinking that they can ascend to be a, a likeness of God. And it doesn't take long for us to see in the scripture that humanity has its mess. Amen. But, but there is a promise that is given that Abram and Sarah will give birth to a child. And again, I'm cutting out a lot of the details to get to the point today, but time is ticking away, and there's no sign that this promise that God has given to Abram and Sarah is going to come to pass. And so Sarah comes up with a plan that I just think in my mind she was, she was sure that Abraham was going to say no. Don't, don't you women think that? She walked in and said, I'm going to throw this out there, but I know my good husband will say no way. So she walks in the room and says, Abram, I got this crazy idea. Why don't you take my handmaid, Hagar? Why don't you, why don't you take her to be your wife? And, 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 and you just go in and, and you guys have a child together. And I think Sarah was saying, no, my husband will say, no way, Jose. But that's not what Abram didn't say, no way. He said, well, I don't think it's a bad idea. Terrible idea, Abram, terrible idea. And so he goes into Hagar and Hagar the Bible says that, that they do indeed conceive. Now, the name Hagar comes to us from the Persian. Uh, the, the etymology of the name Hagar begins with a Persian Greek verb that means to be pressed into service. And that is exactly what happens with Hagar. She is pressed into service. She, is, she has no say in the matter. When, when Abraham and Sarah say to her, this is what you're going to do, she does not have a vote in the issue. She simply has, I'm sure that Hagar is saying, this is not going to end good but I don't have a choice. Amen. I don't have a choice in the matter. Amen. In the situation as Hagar is pressed into service and there are times in our lives that we are pressed into service that situations begin to unfold in our lives and it seems like we can't stop what is coming. It seems like even if we wanted to, we don't have any other option. Amen. And we know that it's not going to end well, but we don't have any other choice. And just... As Hagar thought, and we all did too, the Bible says that the moment that Sarah looks at Hagar and recognizes that she is conceived, that her mind changes. First time in the history that a woman changed her mind, but, but it happened with Sarah. Okay, all right. I went out on a limb there, and you all left me hanging. As a preacher, once in a while, you try to invite the crowd in. And when they do what you all just did, it gets really, really awkward up here. So I'm going to say that again. First time in the history of a woman ever changing her mind. Thank you. Very good. All right. 
The Bible says that when she saw, there we go. We're getting some real laugh from over here. Thank you. What's that? I'm in trouble? I'm, oh, come on, Larry. I see how it is. Yeah, all right. That's all right. I'm man enough. I'll square my shoulders up a little bit. We all right, Valerie? As long as I'm all right with her, I don't care about the rest of you. <laughs> but the Bible says that when Sarai sees that Hagar is with child, that she changes her mind toward her. She begins to, the Bible says she treats her hardly. She acts harshly toward Hagar. And Hagar does what many of us do when life becomes overwhelming, when circumstances are unfavorable. Amen. What does Hagar do? She, she runs. She flees. She heads into the wilderness. If we look at Genesis chapter 16 and again in chapter 21, we would find that this is Hagar's way of dealing with, uh, with, with, with difficulty. Have you know the phrase, fight or flight? Amen. Which I want to ask all of you fight people, raise your hands. When you get into difficult, all right, I'm, take a note right now how I treat you guys. All right, fight. All right, how many of you are more the flight people? When, when conflict comes, you, you try to steer clear of it. All right, but the, but the fact is, those of you didn't raise your hands, you're in one of the two. You just don't want to, your flight. By default, your flight because you didn't even want to raise your hand. So we know what camp you fall in. All right? And, and, and I saw some hands go up. I won't point to anybody, but I know absolutely, you are absolutely fight people. But, but Hagar is a flight kind of lady. Because in Genesis 16 and again in Genesis 21, Hagar, there, there's difficult circumstances that are coming. And in both chapters, when Hagar is faced with overwhelming situations, in both of them, she runs into the wilderness. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 16 that she, she journeys down a road that is known as the way of sure. Amen. S-H-U-R. And this way of sure was a 250-mile route that was traveled by caravans. It would, uh, this route began in the northern part of Canaan, what would now be Israel. And it came all the way down through the south of, of Canaan, and then it went from east to west across uh, into Egypt. And it traveled through wilderness and desert. It went, it went 250 miles from the beginning point to the end point of this way called Shur. Amen. As if you recall in Genesis chapter 16, verse number 1, the Bible tells us that Hagar was a servant that came from Egypt. This road that led from Shur started in Canaan, but it ended in Egypt. And when we find Hagar, where is she? She's on the road that is headed toward Egypt. What is Hagar doing? She says, I'm going back to where I came from. I'm going back to what I used to be. I'm going back to what is comfortable. I'm going back to what is familiar. Here's what we must understand today, that Hagar was not just traveling with any Joe Schmo. She's traveling with Abraham. How many of you sang that song in Sunday school, Father Abraham? Had many sons, and many sons had... Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Here's That song originates from a promise that God made to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm because you obeyed me, I'm going to bless you in a way that you can't even handle. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so big that everybody connected to you is going to be blessed. In fact, all the nations of the world is gonna, are going to be blessed. How many of you ever have known somebody that just being connected to them had blessings? Just being around them, right? They paid for it. Every time you went to lunch, they paid for it, right? So you're like, hey, I'll go to lunch if you need somebody to go with you. I'm just throwing that out. I don't want you to be alone. If you go to lunch, I'll pay for it. 
Those, those are the kind of people that you want to be around because there's an overflow of blessing in being connected to them. And that is what Abraham was. Abraham was so mightily blessed of God, and Hagar was blessed by God to be connected to Abraham. And I know, Hagar, that right now things might seem a mess in Hebron. I know that there's a lot of chaos in Canaan. I know that it seems right now that everything is upside down in Abraham's tent. Amen. But Hagar, you've got to realize that as long as you're in Hebron, you're covenant. As long as you're in Canaan, you're connected to a man that has favor on him. So I know it may look better off back in Egypt, but I promise you that you're better in Canaan than you're ever going to be back in Egypt. I want to take a minute right now and tell the church, it's better in Canaan than it is in Egypt. If we're not careful, every once in a while we get our eyes back on Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a type of the world. And we get to looking in the church and we see a problem over here. And we see an issue over there. And we see a difficulty there. And there's a relationship that's not quite right. And if we aren't careful, we start looking back at Egypt. And we start thinking to ourselves, if I could just get back to Egypt, I had it better off in Egypt. But can I tell you, there's covenant in Canaan. Amen. There's promise in the house of God. God. There's destiny in the kingdom of God. What I'm trying to tell you is it's better off in here than it is anywhere else. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to spend a thousand years anywhere else. What's he saying? It's better off in the house than it is anywhere else. Amen. Well, I don't like the way that that, that, that that usher looked at me. The preacher didn't even shake my hand. And, and that, that person over there, if, they, they, they've got problems and they've got issues. And we start to recognize that the church isn't perfect. Amen. Let me just save you some trouble. If you thought it was, let me just help you right now. If you're looking for the perfect church, you stopped at the wrong one. If ain't nobody else imperfect, the guy that's holding the microphone right now is not perfect, nor do I pretend to be. I'm just trying to get closer to Jesus and bring some folks with me. Uh, amen. But if we're not careful, we start recognizing problems. Uh, amen. The enemy starts pointing out shortcomings. Uh, the enemy starts pointing out failures in the church. Uh, and we start looking back to Egypt. Uh, amen. But I want to stay in covenant with God. Uh, I want to stay in the blessings of God. Uh, I want to stay connected to the favor of God. Don't forsake covenant for comfort. Don't bail on the blessings of God to go back to where God brought you out of. When you're in the middle of your worst days in Canaan, Facebook, Facebook brings up those memories from your best day in Egypt. Is it, is it, am I right or right? When, when you're struggling in the church, and you're recognizing the enemy is stirring some things up. The enemy brings up your best days. He, he leaves out the hangovers. Yeah, he, he, leaves out, he leaves out the, the mess. He leaves all that and just brings up that one good memory. 
that one good time when you're out in the world and he says, look, look, Hagar, you need to leave Abraham and you need to go back to Egypt because things are better off in the world. I came to serve the devil. Notice, amen, that I'm not going back to Egypt. I'm not going back to this world. Amen. I'd rather go through all of hell in the tents of Abraham, amen, than to be blessed in Egypt because there's blessing in covenant. Because here's what the enemy doesn't tell you. That going back to where God brought you from is a death sentence. It's a death march. From Hebron, which is where Abram and Sarai had their tents set up. From Hebron to Egypt along this way of Shur was a three-day journey. That's if you were traveling in a caravan on the back of a camel. 70 to 80 miles of nothing but desert. Hagar doesn't have a caravan. She's not on the back of a camel. She doesn't have sources of, uh, of, of uh, resource and, and nourishment when she gets weary. She's all alone. Amen. She's about 30 miles into her journey, about one day into her journey. Amen. She doesn't have anybody else around her. And commentaries emphatically conclude that Hagar never would have survived the journey. She never would have made it. The enemy says, oh, it'd be better off if you go back to the world. It'd be better off if you go back to what God brought you out of. Hey, look at all the problems in the church. Remember when you were back in the world and you were living it up and you had everything? And that's a lie anyhow. You weren't living it up. Your life was a wreck. Amen. You were a mess, but God brought you out. But here's the part the devil lies, uh, that the devil leaves out in that lie, is if you go back to what God brought you out of, you're never going to make it. Uh, amen. You cannot survive going back to Egypt. Uh, amen. You will never live again. Can I tell you what that wilderness was? That wilderness was the mercy of God. God puts a wilderness between us and Egypt. Because so many of us, if, if there wasn't a wilderness there, if it was easy to hop into church and hop back into what we used to be. Now, some of you are just playing games with God. You ain't never really got into the promises of God. Amen. Some of you come to church and act like you're doing it, but you ain't really doing it. Because, you ain't, amen, you ain't, you ain't repented of your sins. You ain't been baptized and, and buried that old nature. Amen. You haven't yet surrendered to God. So I'm not preaching to you because some of you are still somewhere between Egypt and Canaan. I'm preaching to those of you that have been in Hebron. And God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put mercy in your way. So when the enemy starts dragging you back into this world, you say, you know what? I can't go back there. Amen. I've got, I've got too many victories that I have to step back over. I'm thankful today that there's a wilderness between me and Egypt. I'm thankful that there's a lot of miles that I'd have to walk through to get back to what God brought me out of. God put space between you and the life he delivered you from. If there's no space between you now and who you used to be, you ain't saved. I know we live in a day where everybody likes soft, tender preaching. I'm just going to tell you, if there's no space between who you are now and who you used to be, you are not saved. Because Jesus Christ did not come to save you in your sin. He came to save you from your sin. He came to make you a new creature. 
He called you out. Amen. He put a, a new name on you. He put a new nature in you. There ought to be space between you and Egypt. I can't just go back to what I used to be. There's too many victories God has given me. There's too many battles God has won. You ought to thank God for his mercy. You ought to thank God that when you thought about going back to Egypt, you said, I can't go back because God brought me too far. The number of that guy I used to call to get my fix ain't even in my contact list anymore. I don't know how I did back there. I don't even remember how to get to the store that I used to buy my goods from. God has put too much space between me and it, and that is the mercy of the Lord. Here we go. Here's a bad word. I'm going to say a bad word in church. Here we go. He puts accountability. That's more than a four-letter word. In fact, it's three times a four-letter word. Accountability. Listen, God put you in the church so you could have some accountability. So that when you, when you don't show up three weeks in a row, somebody's going to get on the phone and say, hey, where are you at? We missed you. And some of you don't like that, but I'm going to tell you that's the mercy of God so you don't end up back in Egypt. God said, i got to put a wilderness between you and Egypt. Some of you don't want accountability, but let me tell you, it's going to be accountability that connects you to covenant. It's going to be accountability that connects you to the favor of God. I wish somebody would say thank you for the church. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for a preacher. That's the problem with being a church hopper. Just go from church to church to church to church as you build no accountability in your life. And then when you end up back in Egypt, how did I get back here? I'm going to tell you how you got back there. Because it's not that long of a trip when there's not a wilderness between you and Egypt. God put a church family. God put a church family between you and your old habits. There ought to be something. Hey, I, you haven't been worshiping like you usually do. Well, I, Pastor, I don't want to make anybody feel. No, 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 that's mercy. That's God saying, hey, Hagar, you're headed back to Egypt. And I never intended you to be back in Egypt. I connected you with Abraham. And I know Abraham's got some issues, but you're still better off connected to Abraham than you are back in Egypt. Can we thank God for his mercy right now? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that there's a wilderness. How many of you can testify to get back to your unsaved self, you'd have a lot of work to do. I mean, I have to, I'd have to throw some Bibles away. I'd have to go buy a new supply of old stuff that I got rid of. It's not an easy journey for me to get back to Egypt. Why? Because God said I'm going to put a wilderness there, and that is my mercy. Somebody thank him right now for his mercy. Listen, if, if it weren't that, if it were easy, just a little one-hour trip back to Egypt, some of us would have left a long time ago. 
we would have got offended and gone right back to the devil. We'd have gone right back to the world because somebody looked at us wrong or took our parking spot or didn't shake our hand or whatever the case may be. But God said, my mercy is going to put a wilderness between you. Lamentation, Jeremiah said it this way. This I recall to mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassion. What's he saying? God didn't let me go back to Egypt. If I would have done what I wanted to do, I'd have ended up back in Egypt. But it's because of, Brother Silvati, you're here today because of the mercy of the Lord. Brother Christian, you're here today because of the mercy of the Lord. Brother Jarrell, you're here today because of the mercy of the Lord. Sister Jamie, you're here today because God put some distance between you and Egypt. How many of you can testify that there were times that this humanity thought it'd be better back in Egypt, but God said there's a wilderness between you and Egypt. It's a runway. It's mercy. It gives us space. It's not easy to go back to what we used to be. Jeremiah 3 and 12, the prophet said, Go and proclaim these words to the north and say, Return. Hagar, come back, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause my anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord. Can I just say today, I'm thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful that he didn't give up on me. Somebody define mercy as God not giving me what I deserved. I'm thankful that there's a wilderness between me and Egypt. I'm thankful that there were a few days that I started heading back to Egypt. But the Lord met me there and said, get back to Canaan. There's promise waiting on you in Canaan. The Bible tells us she's not just in a wilderness. She's not just in this desert. She's not just in this space of mercy. Amen. She isn't just moving in this space of mercy. Amen. But she, the Bible also says she's standing. When the angel of the Lord shows up, she's standing beside a fountain. In the middle of a desert, standing beside a fountain. Because God doesn't just come with mercy, but he also comes with grace. Come on, aren't you thankful today that God comes with grace? He didn't just put space between me. He didn't just put space between me and Egypt, but all those times when I started heading back to Egypt and I thought I was going to die, he said, I'll give you water that you can drink of. I'll quench your thirst. That fountain was the grace of God. If they define mercy as God not giving you what you deserve, grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Hagar, I know you woke up this morning with Egypt on your mind, but I see now that you're running out of strength, and I know that you're weary, so I'm going to put a fountain right here in the middle of mercy. I'm going to put grace right here in the middle of mercy. Come on, I'm going to put a song in your soul. I'm going to put a dance in your step. I'm going to give you hope that you don't deserve. I'm going to give you peace that you can't find anywhere else. I wish somebody thank him for the grace. Aren't you thankful today that he is a gracious God? (laughs) 
How many times I can't speak for everybody else, but I can speak for myself that I got Egypt in my mind, that I started to, I started to think about all of the inadequacies in the church. I started thinking about all the chaos in Canaan, and Egypt got into my mind. But I thank God that while I made my way in mercy, that he put a fountain right there in mercy. And he said, Jason, I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you water that you can drink of because I'm not done with you yet. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace. Hagar, you're, you're in a desert. You, you, gotta, you got two more days to journey and, and you're not going to make it. Even if you were with the caravan right now, Hagar, the chances are slim. You're weary. The enemy lied to you and told you it'd be better off back in Egypt than... And you allowed yourself to slip. But, but Hagar, don't worry because my grace is sufficient for you. Hagar, I'm going to put a fountain right here in the middle of this desert. Right in the middle of your wilderness. The New Living Translation says it this way. My grace is all you need. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house today. I feel somebody this morning, if you'll just raise your hands, God's got a fountain for you. Uh, come on, if you'll, if you'll just get your eyes on Jesus, there is a fountain for you. I know that you're in a desert situation. You're in a wilderness place. Uh, amen. You might, have, you might even be contemplating things being better off back in Egypt, but there's a fountain in the middle of this wilderness. Uh, amen. God's grace is sufficient for you. James simply said it this way, he gives more grace. Hallelujah. And this invisible, unknown, minor character in the Bible, not a prophet, not a patriarch. You're not going to work your way through the lineage of Hagar and end up at the Messiah. It's not going to happen. She's just a servant that's been brought out of Egypt, connected to Abraham. Now she's dealing with chaos that's not of her own choosing. And as she's making her way back to Egypt where God brought her from, on her way back to what God called her out of, out of what she used to be, traveling through a desert, stopped at a fountain, the Bible says the angel of the Lord found her there. Not she found the angel, but the angel found her there. Amen. And the Bible, if we study this out, most believe that this was a theophany. In other words, it was an actual manifestation of God himself standing in front of this nameless nobody. Nobody even would have known she was there if it wasn't for Sarah's barrenness. But now God himself is standing in front of her. Amen. Can I tell somebody in this building today, you're not insignificant in God's mind. God is not overlooking you. God doesn't just care about preachers. He cares about people. Amen. God's not just listening to the prophet. He's listening to people. And listen to what the angel of the Lord says. He says, Hagar, servant of Sarah. I, I, I just put myself in Hagar's shoes. I, I believe there was a pause in her step. What, what, God, you know my name? 
You know me. I, I know that you know Abraham, and I know you know Sarah. I know you know Moses. I know you know the patriarchs, but, but I'm just a servant girl. I'm a maiden. I'm a, I'm a nobody. I, I've got nothing going for me. I'm not going to write any books in the Bible. I'm a nobody, but God paused, and he said, I know your name. I know who you are. I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. And I hear the voice of God today saying in this house, Alma, Jesus, Valerie, come on, Christian. God knows your name. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows that you're standing by the fountain in the middle of a wilderness. He, he knows you. God, I'm not a giant killer. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a king. I'm not a warrior. I'm just a confused servant somewhere between Egypt and Hebron. I'm just a confused servant somewhere between what you brought me out of and where you're taking me to. I'm just a confused. I don't know about you today, but I would raise my hand and say, God, I'm amazed that you even know my name. When I think of how many times I got Egypt on my mind, when I think of how many times I ran away from the blessings of God, yet you still know my name. Can we thank him right now? It's here in the middle of a wilderness. Stop beside a fountain. That the first descriptive name for God is given by mankind. No, it's not Abraham standing atop Mount Moriah, Brother Silvati. That's the first person. Yes, he did. He stood and said, Jehovah Jireh. He gave this declarative name to God, but he wasn't the first. It wasn't a patriarch. It wasn't the prophet Moses. It wasn't the prophet Moses. As he stood with hands raised and God gave them supernatural victory over the Amalekites. It, it, it wasn't the prophet Moses. It wasn't the warrior Gideon. As he stood face to face with an angel and said, God, you, you spared my life and let me live. It wasn't Gideon. It wasn't King David seated upon his throne. It, it wasn't any of them. No, it was just an Egyptian servant by the name of Hagar. Had a fountain in the wilderness. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. And Hagar lifted up her eyes toward heaven and she said, God, thou seest me. That was the name she gave him, El Roi. Amen, El Roi, thou art the God that sees me. I came today to tell somebody, you may feel insignificant, but God sees you. He knows right where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He is the God that sees you. wonder if we could lift hands all around this building. Brother Christian, as I read that phrase, as Hagar standing beside that fountain, she said, Thou God seest me. I feel like this is the way she said it. Thou God seest me. God, you care about me? I'm just a servant. I'm not Abraham. I, I, don't, I don't have pedigree. I, I, I didn't obey a voice to come out of her. I just did what I was told. I'm a nobody. And you're not going to connect me to the lineage of Messiah. I'm a nobody. 
And yet God said, Hagar, I know you by name. And her response was, God, you are the God who sees insignificant people that are going through wildernesses in their lives. I don't even know how I got here. I didn't ask for this. I didn't want to go through this, but here I am. I'm in the middle of mercy, and I'm standing at grace. And I need you, Lord. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but somebody needs to come down to this altar right now and raise your hands. Because El Roy is in this room right now. God sees you. God sees your situation. God sees your circumstance. Amen. Some of you have gotten Egypt back in your heart and in your mind. And the enemy has told you that you'd be better off just going back to Egypt. you to raise those hands just as Hagar did at that fountain. Thou God, seest me? Great is thy faithfulness. It is of his mercy that we are not listening. If you're in this building today, it's because God put a wilderness between you and Egypt. If you're in this building today, it's not because you're perfect and you're good enough. It's because God put distance between you and Egypt. And it's not too late. Some of you are you're on the threshold of Egypt. You're right there about to step back into what God brought you out of. But I tell you today, there's mercy waiting on you. It's not too late to run back to Hebron. It's not too late to get back to Canaan. It's not too late to find your way back into the mercies and the grace of God. You know what I feel right now? I feel like there's a fountain in this place. I feel like grace is in this house today. I feel like if you're in this place and you're weary and you're in a desert and you feel like you're about to drop dead because you don't have anything to sustain you, I want you to know that there is grace for you in this place. Living Hope, I want you to pray right now. I want you to find somebody nearby and I want you to pray with them. there's no insignificant person in this room there's not one person in this room that God cares less about you than the other person next to you God doesn't love you less than he loves the preacher God doesn't care less about you than he does the man holding the microphone God cares about you sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there to get to our destination we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.